Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. The days of Noah were not that much different from us because the problems of our society today could be summed up in just one word, sin. The problems of your life and of my life have all a single source, and that's sin. And that sin was still there a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, uh, however long ago Noah lived ago. That same sin was still there. And so Noah faced some problems, and the society had some problems that I think we see today. In, in uh, verse number 5, in the passage that we're looking at this morning, Genesis 6, it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It was an evil generation. It was an evil time. It was a, an evil um, generation there. And in Genesis chapter 4, verse 23, we see a man, Lamech. And we don't know too much about uh, the time of Noah. We don't know too much about the culture. But God has uh, shown us, I believe, a little bit of what the culture was like in that day by revealing to us a little bit about this man and in Genesis 4.23, it says, And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. In this verse, I see that uh, Lamech is, is probably representative of his generation in that he was an indulgent man. It says that he had two wives. He had two of them. This is the first time that you see that. And and here I, I see that here is Lamech, and he says, oh, I like Ada, and I like Zillah, and I probably shouldn't have both, but I'm going to take both of them. And you see that he was an indulgent man in terms of whatever it was that he wanted, he, wa- he was going to go get it, even if he wasn't supposed to have it. And, I, and that seems like the generation of today, doesn't it? Where you see that people know that they're not supposed to have it, but they want it anyway. And they're going to go after it anyway. And they're going to indulge in, in, the, in, the, in the desires that they have and the lust that they have in their heart. They're going to indulge in those things. And, and Noah faced some of those things. We also see that he was an insolent man. He's speaking to his wives and he says, hear my voice. And he, and he talks about how he has killed a young man. And he was proud of that. He was proud that he had killed this young man. Sounds like our generation today where we're proud of things we shouldn't be proud of. Those things that are shameful are uplifted in society. You see what's going on and, and uh, you know, back when, when I was growing up, you know, we barely had the internet. If you want to even call it the internet, we had 56 uh, K modems. And every time you connected to the internet, it made that really weird sound for like a minute. And that's, you know, that's how we, you know, I grew up, but now... With, with uh, super fast internet and mobile phones and uh, the internet, everything, you see everything that's going on now. And it's uplifted. People are proud of these things that used to be shameful. They should be shameful. But they gladly post them on the internet and show everybody in the world, look at what I'm doing. Look at what I'm participating in. Look what, look what I did last night. Look what, what I'm doing with my life. And And that's what Lamech was doing. There was something he should have been ashamed of, and yet he was proudly boasting of what he had done. 
He was also an impetuous man. It says, Hearken unto my speech, for I have a slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. He hurt me. Therefore, I got him back. He did something wrong to me. Therefore, I'm going to get him back. And he killed him for it. He was, if you will, uncontrollable. He had those emotions or those feelings in him. And he knows that it's wrong, I'm sure. But he indulges in them anyway. And he goes after them. And and we live in that society where it's not about what's right or wrong. It's about how you feel. It's about follow your heart. If it feels good, do it. If it feels right, do it. It's not about what's right or wrong. It's about how you feel. If it feels good to you, then you can go ahead and do it. That sounds like society today, doesn't it? I don't see too much of a difference between the people of Noah's day and the people of our day. But Noah found grace. No matter what is going on in society around you, grace is still available. It doesn't matter that there is sin abounding in the culture and in your nation. Grace is still available for you. Romans chapter 5 verse 20 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. No matter how big the sin, God's grace is bigger. And no matter where you are in your life, you can find grace. And we, uh, we're glad of the story of Noah, that Noah found grace. But what you notice is that in verse 8 it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, but the story doesn't end there. It continues on. There's more to this story, and I believe it's because God wants us to show that God's grace makes the difference. That God's grace will produce things in your life. Not just that you will be saved, but that there will be things in your life that will appear because God's grace is present. So do you have that grace this morning? Do you have God's grace? Have you trusted in Christ as your Savior? Have you received Him as your Savior to save you from your sins? Have you received the grace of God, the only grace that can save you this morning? Have you received that grace. If you have, then I believe that you will begin to see some of these products that we see in this passage this morning. Number one, I see that grace produced in the life of Noah an introduction to success. Again, like I said, we don't know too much about the life of Noah before the flood. We don't know too much about the society before the flood. We don't know too much about the culture and and, uh, all that they did. But I want you to look at Genesis chapter 4, verse number 20. It should be there on the screen. It says, And Ada bare Jabal. He was the father of such as dwell in tents and of such as have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal. Jabal and Jubal. He was the father of all such as handled the harp and organ. And Zillah she also bare Tubal Cain, an instructor of every, of every artificer in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. And so here what you see is that God describes to us, if you will, some of the experts of their field at that time. And you see that Jabal, he was the one who was in charge of the cattle. He was a rancher, if you will. He, he took care of the cows. And so I imagine at that time, they must have enjoyed a good medium rare steak. 
I imagine that they didn't just raise these cattle for no reason. They must have done something with them. They must have gotten milk from them and, and had a, a milkshake in the morning. And, and then they, they must have uh, had a good steak. Maybe they, they even had leather jackets. I don't know what they were doing all back then. But here is some, they're, they're taking care of the cattle for some reason. And you also see in verse number 21 that his brother was the father of all such as handled the harp and the organ, sophisticated musical instruments. So I imagine at this time that they must have had some entertainment, musical entertainment. Maybe they even had some uh, little coffee shops and, and uh, on, a, on a Friday night some you know, young guy who's learning an instrument comes in and, and tries to perform or something. Maybe they even had some plays or theater or uh, an orchestra concert. I don't really know, but I imagine that they must have had some of those things because they had some of these instruments. And in verse number 22, it says that there was an artificer of brass and iron. There was a blacksmith there that was making things out of brass and iron. And so I understand that while they may not have had the internet and they may not have had computers or cars or airplanes, but I imagine that all throughout the ages, when you're, whether you're talking about the Romans or the Greeks or the Middle Ages, I imagine that no one may not have lived that much differently from them. That the music and, and uh, the technology available to them and all of these things were there for them. So I imagine that Noah's not living like a caveman and he's just with very rudimentary tools. I imagine that he's living in, in a very similar way to us. Maybe he had his own business. Maybe he was uh, selling something. Maybe he was a carpenter. Or maybe he was working for somebody as an accountant. Or I, I don't really know exactly uh, how he lived. I'm speculating, of course. But I imagine that he's not too much different from us in terms of he must have had some similar concerns. Marriage concerns, parenting concerns, financial concerns, future concerns. How am I going to pay for my kids' college education? When are my kids going to get married? When am I going to have grandkids? What am I going to do for our 400th anniversary? (laughs) After so many years, it's the same thing over and over again. What do I do special for this 400th anniversary? He lived a long, long time. What do you do? you got to come up with something different for the 400th, but... You, you must have run through all of the available ideas by that time, right? He probably was not that much different from us. He probably lived with some of the same uh, um, fears and concerns, the same ambitions, the same desires that we had. He probably wasn't that much different from us. Verse number six says, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping things, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The point of seeing an introduction to success is this. I don't know what his ambitions were, but whatever they were, it didn't matter if the flood was coming. He might have built the tallest skyscraper in the world, But if the flood's coming, it doesn't matter. It's going to get destroyed. He might have been the most successful businessman on the planet. He might have been the wealthiest man alive, the Bill Gates of his generation. 
but it didn't matter because the flood was coming. He might have been the most intellectual man and he's giving uh, the TED speeches and he's going to the, con- uh, the commencement services and getting honored with that honorary PhD or whatever. And he might have done all of those things, but it doesn't matter if the flood is coming. And so he could have built all of those things and he could have been massively successful. But without God's grace, it doesn't matter. Without God's grace coming to him and saying, you know what? This world is going to be destroyed, but I'm going to save you by my grace. It doesn't matter. It didn't matter that he would have been the most successful. It would have been all destroyed. It didn't matter how great his family line would have been and how politically powerful he could have been. They would have all been destroyed. It didn't didn't matter. And so with God's grace comes an introduction to success. All of those things mattered only if he survived the flood. That's the only thing that mattered. It didn't matter if he was the best, brightest, smartest, wealthiest, biggest, strongest, anything, if he dies at the flood. And so with God's grace comes an introduction to success. You can be successful only if you get the grace of God. Matthew chapter 16, verse 26 says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What does it matter if you own the entire planet if you die and you go to hell? What does it matter? And so we as believers, if, if you receive the grace of God, what I see is an introduction to success, and I, I see a change in priority. What you see is that in Noah's life, he then changed to whatever it was that he was doing, and we're not sure what he was, to suddenly building an ark. Why? Because of God's grace. And sometimes we put so much pressure and so much emphasis and so much attention to things that will all pass away from this earth. And with God's grace, it will give us the ability to focus in on that which really matters. We see that God's grace produced an introduction to success. It also produced an implementation of Scripture. Verse number 14, if you could read with me, it says, Make thee an ark of gopher wood, room shalt thou make in the ark, and shall pitch it within and without with pitch, and this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. For the length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, and the breadth of it shall be uh, 50 cubits and the height of it 30 cubits a window shalt thou make to the ark and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof with lower second and third stories shalt thou make it when i was uh, driving here from uh, new jersey uh, we stopped in kentucky it's kind of on the way it's not directly in the in, in the uh, the route but we kind of made a little detour because somebody had built a replica of Noah's Ark. And uh, so we, I'd heard about this, so I wanted to see it. And uh, it, it costs a bit of money to go see it, so we thought about maybe we'll just go to the parking lot and we'll just take a picture and then we'll leave. <laughs> but they knew that we were coming, so they put the parking lot far away. And you've got to take a bus to get to the Ark. So they, they thought about people like me. <laughs> And so we, we paid and we went up and I remember going up to this ark and seeing how massive it was. It was big. It was real big. It, 
you know, cubit is a little bit vague, and uh, you know, some people have debates about how exactly big it was. But the ark that we saw was, I think, it was 500 feet long. It was over 100 feet high. It was, it was massive. And you know who was building it? Noah. Noah, I want you to build this. You need to build an ark, a boat, a box. An ark just means a box. So, so okay, I need to build a box. And then, and then Noah is given the dimensions. Okay, this box needs to be 500 feet long. <laughs> Wait, what? God, 500 feet long? You want me to build this? And when you see in the Bible, they say that it took, uh, you know, roughly 100 years. You can imagine why. But he was given some instruction following uh, receiving God's grace. Because when you receive a gift the size of God's grace, you can't help but want to do something for the one who gave it to you. In verse 22, it says, Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. So did he. Noah, after receiving God's grace, received God's word, and he obeyed the word of God. He did what God had told him to do. And what you see from people who have received the grace of God is the desire to do what God is telling them to do. What you see from those who have received God's grace is the desire to follow the commands of God. The desire to obey the word of God. The desire to do what God has told them to do. When you see the life of the Apostle Paul, he was Saul in Acts chapter 9. When he got saved, the first thing that he said to God was, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That was the response of Saul to receiving the grace of God. And that's the response of the believer to receiving the grace of God, which is God What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with my life? What do you want me to do in this situation? What do you want me to do? And you see that the grace of God produces the desire to obey the one who has given you that grace. To say to God, God, I want some instruction. God, I need some direction. God, I want to know what you want me to do. What do you want me to do? And they will go looking for it, just like Paul did. Paul said, what do you want me to do now, God? And you see that people will go looking to find what God wants them to do. That's why it's important we get into God's word every day. That's why it's important that we read it every single day. That we get into the word. Why? Because God's grace produces in those people, the response, the desire to do what God wants them to do. And how do we know what God wants us to do? We know it because God has told it to us in His Word. And that's why we need to go to God's Word. It produces that desire. Now, Paul also did say in Romans chapter 7, verse 19, For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that which I would not, it is no more I that doeth it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Paul also acknowledges, I have this desire, but I also have this flesh that produces an opposite desire. And there's a battle within me, and I struggle with that. And the things that I want to do, I don't do them. And the things I don't want to do are the things that I do. And so there's a struggle that the Apostle Paul had, and the struggle that each believer will have. But there should be that desire to do what God wants them to do. 
That's what the grace of God produces. We see an introduction to success. We also see an implementation of Scripture. We also see an involvement through service. Verse 14 again. I won't read the whole passage, but make the an ark of gopher wood. And, and he describes how exactly he was supposed to make it. We know the story. We know the situation. And we, we're familiar with Noah and his life. But quite frankly, God didn't have to have Noah build the ark. He could have just said, here, I'm going to create this little magical bubble and you and your family, you just sit inside here and I'll create little magical bubbles around every single animal that needs to survive and the flood will come and it'll go and then, and then you can continue living on. But he didn't. He had Noah purposefully get involved. He had Noah purposefully get involved. God could do it all on his own. He doesn't need our help. It's not like God needed Noah's help to save all of the animals. Therefore, all right, somebody's got to build this ark. Okay, Noah, I guess you're the best guy. I'm going to give you my grace. No, he didn't need help from Noah. He didn't need help from anybody. He doesn't need help from any of us. When uh, Jesus is coming into uh, the city in the triumphal entry, and the Pharisees are saying to Jesus, Jesus, these people are praising you like you're God. You need to tell them to quiet down, to back off. That's not right. And Jesus said, if they were quiet, the stones would cry out. I would have the rocks to say the praise that is worthy of this moment, that is worthy of me. God doesn't need our help. And if we don't help, then he could say, you know what, fine, I'm going to get the rocks to help me. I'm going to get the animals to help me. I'm going to get the angels to help me. I'm going to do it all myself. But he didn't. He had Noah get involved. And he has us to get involved as well. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, God says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, this is Isaiah, Here am I, send me. What you find is the grace of God produces in people the desire to get involved. It produces people who get involved in the work. Not because God needs us, not because God needs me or God needs our church or God needs anything to accomplish His will, but He has chosen people to do His work. He has chosen us to accomplish His will. He desires for His children to be involved in the work, to do something. That's why God said, I will build my church. And the church is the body of Christ. God doesn't need our help. He could have just announced it to everybody. This is how you get saved. But he has chosen us. He has chosen the church to propagate the gospel. In Matthew chapter 28 Verse 18, it says that Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Okay, Jesus, if you have all power, are you just going to do it all? He says, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye, therefore. I want you to get involved. I want you to do the work. Now, I am going to work through you. It's not through your strength. It's through my strength. He tells the disciples, but nevertheless, he wanted his people to get involved. And what you find is that God's grace produces people who get involved, believers who get involved. 
Not just people who sit on the sidelines, not just people who sit in the stands, but people who are out on the field of play, that are getting involved, that are getting the work done, that are doing something for the Lord. Not just coming and observing other people doing the work, not even just cheering them on, but getting involved in the work themselves. And so if you have received the grace of God, it should produce in you an involvement through service. Some involvement in the work of God. We have a church body here, and God has graciously provided this place, this building for us to gather every week. What's the purpose of this? It's an opportunity for us to get involved. It's an opportunity for us to participate. To participate through singing, to participate through serving, to participate through outreaching, to participate in small things, little things that you might consider as, well, nobody's going to notice or it's not really a big deal, but it's a way for you to participate. Simple things like cleaning is a way to participate. And also you can participate not just as a church body together, but you participate in other places as well. You participate when you go out and you are a light in your workplace. And you're a light among the lost in, in your home or in your family. You participate when you obey God's commands in your home. Loving your spouse and, and raising your kids and, and loving others around you as God commanded. We need to be participants. We need to participate in the work of the gospel. We need to participate in our church. If you come to this church and you're a member of this church and you feel like, I don't really have a place of service, you should. You should have a place of service. And we have plenty of places of service. There are plenty of things that, that Brother Jimmy or myself, we do, and we would love for other people to help participate. I'm glad to do it, and he was glad to do it as well. And we're all glad to do the service that we have, but there's plenty more to do. And we need to participate and be involved through service. I also, though, see an interval between stanzas. Genesis chapter 7, verse number 6 says, And Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. I grew up with, uh, with uh, you know, the idea that it took Noah exactly 100 years to build the ark. Reading later, I realized it's not exactly clear in the Bible exactly how long it took him to build the ark. People estimate maybe 75 years at the least. Some people say there's a verse that references 120 years, and, and that may be true. And I don't know exactly how long, but the point is this. Regardless of whether it's 75 years or 120 years, it was a long time. 75 years is a long time. 120 years is an even longer time. No matter how long it took, it took a very long time. God told Noah... You build an ark because a flood is coming. And that flood took at least 75 years to come. Maybe 100 years to come. That's a long, long time between when God said it would come and when it actually came. And what you find is that God often works with great patience. That God doesn't work according to our timetable. The children of Israel, they were in Egypt for 400 years. 
the Messiah was prophesied hundreds of years before he actually came. And Noah here, he was told the flood is coming. But still many decades later, no water, no flood. And oftentimes there's an interval between when God said it will happen and when it actually happens. And sometimes people, they lose patience in between. They say, God, you said it was going to happen and it hasn't happened yet. God, you said that you would bless. Where is that blessing? God, you said that this would happen. When is this going to happen? And sometimes we lose faith. Sometimes we give up on the work because it's taking too long. I remember reading that if you um, plant an apple seed in the ground today, it will take at least three to five years before it produces any fruit. Before it produces the tiniest little apple, three to five years. And sometimes that's the way that God's word works. It is planted, but it takes a long time before it produces fruit. And a lot of times people, they want to obey God's word. They've begun to obey God's word, but they don't see anything yet. God, I'm building this ark. I'm halfway done. I still haven't seen anything. There's no indication of any rain. There's no indication of anything. Nothing. Until the ark was done. Then God could bring the rain. Now it's easy for Noah because he could see, well, the ark's only halfway done. Of course the water's not going to come because I'm not finished yet. God, please don't bring it yet. I'm not finished. I'm 90% done, but the roof isn't finished. Please don't bring the rain yet. It was easy for Noah to see, okay, finally the ark is done. Maybe the rain will come soon. But for us, we don't have a physical ark to see, oh, okay, I'm ready for the next thing. Okay, God is going to bring the rain. The flood is going to come. Whatever is coming my way will come. Sometimes God is waiting to build in us something. Maybe we need to purge some sin from our life, and until that is purged, then He can move forward. But until it is purged, He he can't move uh, move to the next step. Maybe there's some character that needs to be built in us, some spiritual strength. Some yielding to the Holy Spirit. How do I know if I've yielded enough to the Holy Spirit to be able to maybe take another step forward? It's, it's, it's a little bit vague, if you will. And, and sometimes we can't see so clearly as Noah, but the point is this. Sometimes God is just waiting for something to be done before he can move forward. And we need to continue working until that time comes. We may not know when it is. We may not see it coming in advance. But it is coming. And so don't give up in the middle. Don't give up in the middle of building your ark. Don't give up in the middle of whatever it is that God has called you to do. You may not see anything has changed around you. The Bible calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. Nobody else came on the ark except his family. Nothing in society, as far as we can say, has has changed over the 75 years he was building the ark. But don't stop building that ark. Continue building until the flood comes. Lastly, what I see is an impact on seven. In verse number seven of chapter six, and Noah went in and his sons and his wives and his, uh, his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Actually, I think that's chapter seven. 
verse number 18 of chapter 6 says, But with thee I shall establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. The Bible here says that the covenant, the promise was made with one individual, Noah. When it says thee, that means one. You, just you, Noah. My covenant is with you. But seven other people walked onto the ark with him. Noah was the one who received the promise. And the Bible says that Noah was the one who found grace. But seven other people were saved from the flood because of it. Seven other people survived the flood because Noah found grace. Seven other people had long, fulfilling lives because Noah found grace. And what you find about grace is that grace and the blessings of it don't stay with the individual. It spreads. It goes to other people. And the blessings overflow into the lives of others. I consider my, my father. My father, he was uh, not saved when I was born. But he was searching. He went looking for the truth. The truth has to be out there somewhere. So he started looking. He went to this place and he went to that place and went to some different places. And, and I'm sure that he could tell the story much better than me. But he told me that he was searching for a long time, a couple of years. And then he went to this camp, this family camp. And they had lots of teaching. He said eight hours of teaching for three days. Not much of a camp if you <laughs> ask me, what should we do for teen camp this year? Eight hours of teaching for three days. No, no teenager wants to come to that. But he went, and he got saved at the end of it. My dad got saved, and then my mom got saved. And then I got saved, or actually I guess my brother got saved first, and then I got saved, and then my sister got saved, and my sister-in-law got saved. I just consider that my dad, he found grace. And it spread throughout our family. He brought us to a, a church where we heard the gospel. I heard it hundreds of times before I got saved. But because of that, I received the grace of God as well. I consider this church nearly 30 years ago. Pastor Choi came to this area out of faith and started this church. And because the grace of God was on his life, it spread. And look, at, look and see what's happened here in this place over the past 30 years and the lives that were changed. There's a lot of things that we don't want to spread. Moses and Matthew were sick, and now I am sick as well. They have spread it to me, and I don't like that kind of spreading, right? Traffic here in L.A. spreads. One of the things I've noticed about L.A., and I'm sure in a lot of other places, is if there's an accident, everybody wants to see it. They want to see it all. And... If you're on the same side as the accident, you're going slow anyway. you got that time. But if you're on the opposite side, they still want to slow down as if there's an accident on their side. And the traffic, it spreads. You ever seen where you're driving along and it's bumper to bumper and then suddenly it clears up and it's, what happened? <laughs> what happened was there was an accident on the other side and everybody slowed down to see it and you see that the impact spread. You spill a cup of coffee, it spreads. <laughs> no, <laughs> don't spread. A lot of things, if you just spill it, whatever, it, it goes everywhere. And a lot of times we try to contain it. But the grace of God is not something that you want to contain. You want it to spread. 
You want it to go to other people. You want it to uh, be in the, in the lives of others around you. And you see that the grace of God will impact the lives of others around you. John Wesley said this, I learned more about Christianity from my mother than from all the theologians in England. You see that John gave a lot of credit to his mother. And you see that his brother, Charles Wesley, he wrote uh, over 6,000 hymns. He wrote the hymn, And Can It Be That I Should Gain? He wrote the hymn, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing, Christ the Lord is Risen Today. And we are blessed because a mother, Susanna Wesley, had the grace of God in her life, and it spread to her children. And it spread to the lives of others around her. And that's what you see about the grace of God. Is that it doesn't stay with you. It spreads to others around you. And it becomes a part of the lives of others around you. And in the life of Noah, we see that Noah received grace, but seven others were saved as well. Do you have that grace today? Do you have the grace of God in your life? Have you trusted in Christ as your Savior today? Do you know that heaven is your home? And if you do, you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, you know 100% sure that heaven is is your home, you have that introduction to success. Do you have that implementation of Scripture? Are you involved through the service? Know that there's an interval between stanzas that maybe there's a time where nothing happens before it's done. And also there should be an impact on the lives of others around you. Have, we re- have you received the grace of God?